We're in Exodus chapter 29 tonight. I've entitled our study, The Ordination and Work of the Priest. As you recall, last week we uh, saw the clothing of the priest. And one of the wonderful things about the tabernacle, we're in this section about the tabernacle. Very important structure because it represents God dwelling with his people. That's been God's plan all along, to dwell with his people. But because of sin, there's been separation. The tabernacle becomes a very, very important study for us as believers because it prefigures Christ in many different ways. I'm going to show you some pictures later on. We're going to look at some things about the tabernacle. But tonight, we're going to look at the ordination of the priest. Last week, it was the the clothing. This week, it's the priest going into his duty. So we see this week-long celebration to ordain. He's going to, Aaron and his sons, who the high priest and the priest, they're going to be ordained, and they, as sinful men, have to be cleansed. So they're going to go through this process that was public. People could watch this ceremony that went on for a week, and we're going to read about it tonight. Again, everything in here prefigures Christ, uh, but I, I need to begin the study by making a correction on something that I said last week. I, I say this all the time. I, it's kind of like locked into my brain and, and really is not biblically correct. So I want to correct myself from something I said last week. Now, I, I said this, and I've said this before, but I mentioned that when Jesus came, he abolished different things like the temple. He abolished the uh, Sabbath, he ab- but he didn't really abolish it. And for those of you that read the Bible, you understand that he came to fulfill, right? So the proper word that I should have been using, and I'm just correcting myself, and, and another pastor in the room knows exactly what I'm saying. You have to humble yourself and eat some pie every once in a while, and I'm perfectly fine with it because I want you guys to know what the Scripture says. So Jesus came to fulfill the law. The Sabbath was an Old Testament covenant law that Jesus fulfilled because Jesus is our rest, right? The Sabbath was a rest for the people, but Jesus is our rest. He's our Sabbath. And just like the temple, Jesus came to fulfill, not to abolish, but to fulfill. And so you'll hear me say that word quite a few times tonight. I'm trying to get it locked into my brain, but the abolish is, is, it's just not totally correct. We do not worship on the Sabbath. So in that way you could almost say that he abolished, but he didn't come to abolish, he came to fulfill. And throughout the Bible, you'll see that. So I just wanted to make that correction tonight before we we moved any further. And uh, just remember this, remember this, that Jesus came to dwell with us. The tabernacle was where God dwelt with his people. Here's the verse, it's in John 1.14. You've read it, you know it, we celebrate it at Christmas. The word became flesh and what? dwelt among us. Just like God is dwelling with his people in this structure, this beautiful uh, fabric-laden, layered uh, structure uh, that we'll look a, a little bit at tonight. But tonight, really, we deal with the ordination of the priest. So with that intro, let's ask God's blessing, and we'll jump right into our study. Father, we thank you for the word. I am so grateful that as I say things that may not be uh, accurate, that I can, I can step back and, and be corrected. Lord, I'm so grateful for your word and your grace and these people here that are uh, here to study your word. I know they extend grace to me. So thank you, Lord. 
And I pray that tonight, as we work through this rather long text, but Lord, as we look at it and we see it pre, uh, picturing Jesus in so many different ways in the work of the priesthood, that Jesus is a better priest. And so, Lord, as we study tonight, may we rejoice in your word and its application. In Jesus we pray, amen. Okay, well, let's begin in chapter 29 because the focus is, is kind of moving from the building of the tabernacle, which began back in chapter 25, 26, 27, 28. We saw the, the clothing of the priest. So we're shifting now to this ritual or a ceremony to consecrate, or we use the term ordain. Uh, the ordination or the work of the priest. So now they're going to start serving in this tabernacle. It's never been done before. God is setting this up for the first time. And so he has a specific work for the uh, priest to do in the tabernacle. We begin with their consecration. My first point here, notice verse 1. And this is what you shall do to them. Notice, to hallow or to sanctify or to set them apart for the service they're going to do, hallow them for ministering to me as priest. So this is what God has outlined for the priest to do. He's very specific here. This is going to set them apart from the rest of the people as they become now representatives before the Lord of the people. The priests are going to represent the people as they do all the work of the ministry there in the tabernacle grounds. Um, again, these first steps of this process of these priests and their ordination of Aaron and his sons. Look back at chapter 28 real quick in verse 41. We'll see it in chapter 29, but I want, to, I want you to see it here in chapter 28. It's just look back there, Exodus 28, verse 41. So you shall put them on Aaron. This is the garments, remember. Aaron, your brother. So Moses is getting these instructions from God. Aaron's the high priest, and on his sons, those are the priests, with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. So God's already uh, told them what's going to happen, and now as we come into chapter 29, we see the specifics of all of those things. Before these guys can be priests for God, before they can minister before God, they have to go through this process of cleansing uh, they have to be washed, they have to be cleansed, they have to be right before the Lord. If you're studying Leviticus with us on Sunday night, you'll see some of these things. We've already gone through them. They're in the earlier chapters of Leviticus, and we're doing chapter 20. Yeah, because I'm, I'm doing 20 this Sunday night. We're chapter 20 in Leviticus. But back in chapter 8 of Leviticus, we see the different um, uh, sacrifices and how they were to be done before the Lord. It's in Leviticus chapters 1 through 6 that we find out there are five specific sacrifices that had to be done for the people. The number one sacrifice, and we'll see it again tonight, is the burnt offering. And the burnt offering took place in the altar there, the first altar when you walked into that, that uh, behind the veil there into the, the large courtyard before the Holy of Holies, the building, the holy place, there was the, the, the altar of the burnt offering. And it was a large square box, remember, four square, all equal size with horns on it. And it was made of brass and it was continually burning, burning, burning. 
And this was the first thing that you did when you walked into this holy place, this holy ground. You recognized that a sacrifice had to be made for you. You weren't holy enough to go there. Sacrifice had to be given. And there was this continual burning. That's what we're going to see. These priests are going to enact the same thing. But again, in Leviticus 6, there are five different offerings. The burnt offering, then the grain offering was symbolic of the worshiper. These people were agrarian. They're farmers. And so they're going to give their grain to the Lord. This is a very costly thing. God required them to give grain. They, They would either wave their sheath before the Lord and then burn it. So everybody could see, this is my offering, they'd wave it, or they would just bring their grain and give it to the Lord, the grain offering. Then there's the fellowship offering. The fellowship offering had to do with with portions of the meat that was offered was used in fellowship with the priests and with God. It was this signifying communion for us, uh, that we come together and we we worship together, we break bread, uh, dinner for eight. We, I need to plug that. And, and we come together in fellowship. It's, it's what we do as Christians. We fellowship together, but we fellowship, more importantly, with God. So you had the burnt offering, the grain offering, the fellowship offering, and the last two were the sin and the guilt offerings. The sin and the guilt offerings were specific because there are some sins that you commit, and they're called sins of omission. You, you just don't know. You just do it. You just kind of wander aimlessly through, the, through life, and you... you sin, because that's your nature. And then there are sons, sins of commission. You do them willfully, deliberately. And so these offerings would cover sins that you didn't know you did and sins that you did know you did. So all these five offerings were the main offerings that are mentioned in the first six chapters of, of Leviticus. Again, the New Testament believer has one offering alone, and that's the offering of Jesus Christ, his body broken, his blood shed for remission of sins. And so Jesus is what all of these offerings point to. They all point to Christ. Christ is a better offering. He's a sinless offering. He went there willingly to the cross to die for your sins and for mine. Jesus atones for our sin. 1 John 2, here's the verse behind me on the screen. And he himself is the, this theological word I throw at you a lot, he's the appeasing of the wrath of God, the propitiation. Jesus has appeased the wrath of God. He himself is the propitiation of our sins, but not for ours only. For who? For who? Don't you love that? I love that. Jesus went to the cross to die for the whole world. He didn't go there to die just for a few. Anyone can come to Christ. Anyone that has ears to hear. Anyone that that embraces by faith Jesus Christ. But notice here the priests back in Exodus 28. They're going to be consecrated. In verse 1 it says, Take one young bull and two rams without blemish. The bull is for the personal sin just like In Leviticus, and how it described the burnt offering, the bull is this first offering that would uh, deal with the personal sin of the priest. And the second of the two rams, you have these two different rams without blemish. So the bulls for personal sins, and then you have the other two rams. Now, I've got a picture here just kind of show you the layout of what we're talking about. There's the, remember the three veils. There's the entrance, you go through a veil. 
And the first thing you see is the, this altar of sacrifice. That's that thing that's burning right in the middle. There's priests around. There's people. There's people encamped all around. Remember, the tabernacle is right in the middle of these two million children of Israel. There's two million of them camping in the desert. And so God's house is in the very center, and these people were camped all around it. But you could go, you could see kind of through the veil. Remember I talked about seeing through the veil, but dimly you couldn't see what was going on there. But you could go in to, to make sacrifice. The first thing you came to was this altar of incense where this bull and these two rams are going to be sacrificed right there. Now that's the picture that I'm showing you here. The, the need for the priest to be purified. The need for the priest to have his sins atoned for. That's what the bull and the two rams represent there. The, the first ram would be burnt whole. He'd be slaughtered, the blood would be shed, the fat would be separated, the animal would be burned. And then the, the second ram was for the consecration uh, ceremony itself for that individual, for that priest. And you have to keep in mind this too. As we look at this chapter, although it's dealing with Aaron and his sons, this was going to be a continual, perpetual ordination for all the priests that would come after Aaron and his sons, for Aaron's grandsons, his great-grandsons, his great-great-grandsons, all the Levites, the, fa the, ha the family of the Levites were the ones that were appointed to be these men, and so the, the priests. And so they would go through this same uh, consecration, this ceremony, this ritual that we're reading about here. So they're going to do this over and over again. That's why this is important. It didn't happen just once. It would happen for the new a priest to be ordained or confirmed or um, uh, consecrated there as well. So the service is for the priest. It's for atonement for his sin, but it's also for the people as the people watch and anticipate this work that's going to be done on their behalf as they bring their sacrifice to the priest and they sacrifice in there at that and then they go further in and wash themselves. They go further into the holy place and further into the holy of holies to God's presence. So all of this is significant and this had to hollow them. It says that there in verse one. That's the purpose of this ritual, to hollow them, to set them apart, to uh, set them up to do God's work and God's service. Now, in addition to the three animals, the bull and the two rams, the three, there's three bread offerings as well. Notice verse 2, the unleavened bread, the unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and the unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them with wheat flour, verse 3, and you shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And we'll get to that later. Later in the text, we'll find out what that's all about. But these three uh, types of bread in the baskets came in with the priests, Aaron and his sons, and the bull and the two rams, and they would sacrifice. It's a big ceremony. My next point here in verse 4, command uh, for ceremonial washing. God is going to give them this command, verse 4, and Aaron and his sons, and you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Who's being washed? Aaron and his sons. These men are going to have this washing that goes on. Then you shall take the garments 
that we read about in, in the previous chapter last week, and they're going to dress him up in the garments there. Notice, put on the tunic on Aaron and the robe and the ephod or the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate that girt, girt him with the intricately woven band of the ephod and put the turban on his head. And remember what it said, the headband. Remember what it said, holiness to the Lord. Ernie remembers because he wants to make a headband for all you guys from in the master. You're going to see that next time. It's going to be this headband. Holiness to the Lord, tied with a big knot, you know, hanging off. You guys will look bad. <laughs> but anyway, the, this whole washing that they're going through now, they're going through this washing. It's all symbolic of purification for the priest, right? The sacrifices, but then they're washing before they do all this work. The priest needs to be washed in order to carry out all these jobs that he's going to be doing there in the tabernacle. Now, remember, in this courtyard, you could call it, behind the first white layer of, of sheets that were strung up to, to separate the people from the inner court before the Holy of Holies. I've got a picture here to show you. There's, there's the altar first. You go through the tent, the first veil, and you get to the bronze altar of, of sacrifice. And right beyond that was this bronze laver, laver. It's, it's just a bowl with water in it. And it had around the bottom, it had a place to wash your feet. So they would wash their feet, and then they would take the water, and they would wash their body. And even today, when you go to, I've told you this before, when you go to the, the Wailing Wall in Israel, you, you actually wash with water. There's water, they're running, you can put your hands under it, you can take and dump it, you're supposed to dump it on each hand, and hold your fingers up, there's a certain way to do it. You can watch the Jews, they, they're very, very specific. I walk over there, and I'm watching them do it, and I said, oh, about like that, okay, I'll do that. And I got my yarmulke, and then I went to the wall, it was, it was just a, it was a neat a neat experience to do. But washing has always been part of the Jews and uh, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, and this washing is important. It's ceremonial washing, but it's very symbolic of purification that the priest needed to do that. And that happens there beyond this bronze altar, as you look at the picture behind me, at the bronze laver there. Now, as I described that to you, Am I the only one that sees New Testament baptism? Do you see baptism in that? Do you see the need for baptism and, and what it represents? Baptism in the New Testament represents its number one identification with Christ, his death and his resurrection. He went to the grave for three days and then he rose on the third day. You're identifying with Jesus Christ when you're washed when you're baptized, and baptism meaning immersed. And so they're, in this case, these priests were washed. In our case, New Testament, we are immersed or we're baptized, and it speaks of cleansing. It just be, it's a symbol of cleansing. It doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save the New Testament believer. Faith alone saves. But baptism is a symbol. It's a very important public symbol. It means I'm following Jesus Christ. And for those of you that have done that in a church setting with public witnesses, you know, I'm standing for the Lord. This is a very important time for a believer. And we're commanded, it's one of the ordinances of the church, we're commanded to baptize men in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So every Christian church does that. We do baptisms. And as a believer, you should be obedient. I can't make you. I don't twist anybody's arm to baptize. I didn't twist my kids' arms. They individually came one by one when they were ready, normally in their teenage years, 
I remember when Ashley came, we were baptizing over in, uh, in uh, Yukaipa Regional, and, oh, Ashley's here. Wow, cool. You know, as a, she finally made that decision. I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. So baptism. That's what we're seeing here. It's pictured here in the Old Testament. And in the New, it makes, it makes so much sense, and it means so much more to us when we understand the roots and the history here. That's what we're looking at. All of these things foreshadow Christ. And in this case, the washing of the priest foreshadows Christian baptism. Now, notice how the priestly garments are put on in this ceremony, verse 7. And you shall take the anointing oil and pour on the head. First, they put on the garments, and then they pour anointing oil uh, on them. And then, verse 8, you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them so they get a, a white robe. And you shall gird them with sashes. So they get these beautiful color sash that goes around their neck, uh, mantles around their neck and over the, the, the front. Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a, and here it is, perpetual statute. In other words, this would go on and on generation and generation as the priests would die. Aaron's grandsons, his great-grandsons, great-great-great-grandsons, it would continue. So the ceremony wasn't done once. It would be done over and over. I'm not sure if it was done every year, if it was done every five years. Or when somebody died, they did it again. I'm not really sure. But uh, they were to do this ceremony over and over. And you shall gird them with sashes. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. Again, one extra uh, part of the ceremony is the oil, the anointing oil that we just read about. Again, the oil would be a visible marker of this work that was being done in their lives. For us in the New Testament, the oil is a representation of who? The Holy Spirit. So here we have a picture of the Holy Spirit anointing the priest, coming upon him, anointing the priest. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture here that we're reading about. Now, as, as far as application goes, um, we know that in order to seriously serve God, I mean, you can do it in a, a counterfeit way. You can always serve the Lord on the outside and fake people out, but you'll never fake the Lord out. To seriously serve the Lord, you need to be consecrated. In other words, you need to commit yourself to reading the word. You need to commit yourself to Bible study. Commit yourself to a, a group, a community of believers. You need to grow in your understanding of the scriptures. It's a serious commitment that you make. And that's what these guys are doing. They're doing this public commitment, this ceremony, this ritual that had a lot of meaning. And obviously, we should be serious about what we do. We should get baptized in obedience to the scriptures. We should take communion and understand what it means, the broken body of Christ, the blood shed for remission, atonement, and all. Oh, we should celebrate. We should celebrate. We shouldn't walk and do it and act like, be really quiet. We don't want to sh- We should be just saying, praise God. This is, this, it's, a, it's the best. It's the best when you have the Lord's Supper. It's, we should be celebrating that, that truth. And so here... We see the baptism, we see in the, the water, the cleansing, we see the garments going on, the anointing of oil, the Holy Spirit. Whenever I look at this and I think about baptism, I think about Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but why did Jesus get baptized? Why? I mean, think about that. Had he sinned? Did he need a sacrifice for himself? No. Why would Jesus 
go to John the Baptist and be baptized. He had nothing to repent of because John's baptism was of repentance and remission of sins. That's what he said. Come and be baptized for repentance of sins. That was his, it was a baptism of repentance. Why then did Jesus come to John the Baptist to be baptized? In, in fact, John the Baptist knew it was wrong. He knew who Jesus was. He knew he was Messiah. He said this in Matthew 3. I love Matthew's account. Here it is behind me on the screen, Matthew 3. And John tried to prevent Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. I I can't baptize you. John didn't want to baptize Jesus because it didn't make sense to him. He understood Jesus was the sinless Lamb of God. The reason Jesus wanted to be baptized by John was the baptism of Jesus began the formal ministry of Jesus, those three years. The public ministry of Jesus, it began at the Jordan River. Remember, John the Baptist was the forerunner, and so Jesus came not for remission of sins, but as a sign of the beginning of his ministry. And boy, what a sign. Remember the voice? Remember the dove? All of that happened there. So this was a very important time. So the baptism wasn't for remission of sins. Remission of sins, it was for specifically beginning his public ministry because Jesus came to not abolish, abolish, fulfill. He came to fulfill. Okay, I got to get that in my brain. He came to fulfill the law, and he did that. He did that, fulfilling the law there by being baptized by and starting his public ministry. In Hebrews chapter 4, here's what it says. Notice behind me on the screen, Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus The Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. It's Jesus. He's he's a better high priest. He's a great high priest. Just as Aaron here in chapter 29 here, Aaron and his sons were consecrated to do all of this work for the people, representing the people through all the ceremony and all the ritual and the washing and all, Jesus fulfilled all of those pre-pictured things about washing and cleansing and atonement. Jesus fulfilled it all in the New Testament. Again, knowing these things helps us and gives us, uh, just it, it excites me when I read the New Testament because I know some of these things in the Old Testament. And I believe that's why we have the history of the Old Testament. We as believers are to study the Old Testament. Important for us to understand and study all these things. So Aaron and his sons, they're being consecrated. They're, they're being, in a sense, baptized or cleansed there at the, the brass laver. And Jesus fulfills all these Old Testament pictures that we're looking at. Now, notice the sin offering in verse 10, the sin offering. You shall also have a bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron and his sons, notice this is very important, this ritual. They're going to put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and then pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its awful or its its cow dung is what that is. It's awful. 
you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It's a sin offering. And so God had him separate the bull in a specific way. Notice the bull, the blood, the blood stayed right there. This is, this is the work of the sin offering, and it was done by the priest that brought it in, the bull, the, 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 the exchange there, the transfer of sin and the exchange going on there with this animal dying in the place of someone else because of their sin. That's the picture. That's what's going on here. The death of the animal to atone for sin. There had to be punishment for sin. For the guilty party, there was punishment. There was a payment that had to be made. Appeasement. Jesus appeased the wrath of God. It's propitiation. So Jesus did that work for us. We see that work here done, the substitutionary atonement, the bull for the man in this case. But notice in verse 10, put their hand on the head of the bull. Now that's a symbolic transfer of their sin. They're, they're putting their hands, these, the priests, Aaron and his sons, they all put their hands. Now, this is a bull. So I don't know if you're anybody into PBR? You got to think of a PBR bull. You ever watch those one guy gets on a bull? Have you ever watched that? And then they tighten the groin strap, you know, and then the bull goes berserk. How would you like to be Aaron and his sons? You have to put your hands on the head of the bull. And if that's you and that's me, I'm going to hold on tight. I'm going to grab onto that bull. And that's really what these words mean. It says there, put their hands on. The Hebrew word for put there is samak, and it means to hold fast or grip tight, which, again, I think any of us would do if we're holding onto bodacious, the bull. And the other Hebrew word for hands on is yod, and it means strength or power. So they're holding on with grip and strength and power for two reasons. It's a bull. And then secondly and more importantly, this is their sin that's being transferred onto this animal. And this animal is going to die with their sins. It's going to die in their place. It's going to take their place and pay the payment for their sin. And so these priests, they put their hands on the head of the bull to transfer. They're loading their sin on this animal, this bull. They're confessing their sin. They're holding on to its head. And I'm sure the bull's not going like, oh, this is fun. I'm sure that bull is moving. He's moving. So they're, they're holding this bull. I mean, this is a live bull. It's not a baby bull. This is a bull. You've got to get that picture in your mind. They're holding on to this bull. So it would take a group, right? It's going to take a group of men, a group of priests that are holding this bull and loading their sin, confessing their sin, and transferring their sins on the animal. So the, sin, the, the animal dies now with whose sin? The sin of the priest. They put their hands on it. They laid their hands on that animal, so it's dying. They transferred their sin into the animal. The animal uh, now dies with the sins of the guilty. Now, again, sound familiar? Jesus went to the cross with whose sin? Did he go to the cross with your sin? I'm just asking. Did he go to the cross with your sin? And then he died there in your place, right? Was Jesus sinful? Did he have to do it? No. He went there in my place. It's called the vicarious atonement. He went in my place. He went willingly to the cross, and he bore my sin. I didn't touch his head, but he bore my sin. Remember, the, it's, it's, it's brutal. The, the crucifixion of Christ is brutal. The sky grows dark. The earthquakes. 
And Jesus says, remember what he says? Father, why hast thou what? Forsaken me. Why? Because Jesus has the sin of man. And so for that brief moment, for that brief moment of time, I believe, the Father looks away from the Son. They have been together, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead has been together from the beginning. They're, they never had a beginning. They've always been together. And now they're separated by man's sin on the cross. Jesus took your sin, my sin, to the cross, and he died there. Just like this bull. Again, the picture brings richness and quality and understanding to what Jesus did on my behalf, on your behalf. So I, all day long as I was studying this, I kept smiling. I kept saying, Lord, thank you. This is awesome, God, all that you've done on my behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is a great verse. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful? I love that. Now, the burnt offering here in Exodus, the burnt offering, verse 15, you shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Remember, there was a bull and two rams. This is the first one. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Same as with the bull. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, Put them in the pieces with its head, and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It's a burnt offering to the Lord. And notice this. What, this is what God says about all this. It's a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This pleases the Lord. This is pleasing the Lord. Why? Because it's paying the penalty of man's sin. It's, it's doing what God intended it to do. And Jesus, it pleased God. It pleased God that Jesus went to the cross and died for your sin. It pleased the Father. So the ram here in, in this text was completely burnt, blood sprinkled on the altar, and it's paid or made restitution for sin, taking the place of the sinner. Again, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ fulfilled in the New Testament, but seen in the old. Now next we come to the application of blood, verse 19. And you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Same thing. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of their right hand and some of the blood on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Now I actually taught this when we went through Leviticus. It's, it goes into much more detail. So if you were here on Sunday night, you get all this. For those of you that have been here, it's, it's really interesting. But this is all symbolic. So the blood on the ear to hear the Lord. I want you to listen to me. The blood on the ear. And then the blood on the thumb and the big toe. The big toe walking in obedience, the hand performing the service in obedience to God. Just symbolic there as they would touch each one of the priests, the high priest and then the other priest, with his blood. 
separating them, consecrating them. It's a ceremony, right? This is a ritual that they're doing. It's a public ritual so others can be watching what's going on. God is separating the priests for their priestly duty with the blood on the ear, the thumb, and their big toe. Verse 21, and they shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil, sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on his garments of his sons with him. And he and the garments shall be, notice the word, hollowed or separate or consecrated. They're separated by the blood. Now, I don't think that all that they took a little blood and did that. I think they took the blood and threw it on them. They wanted that blood to be seen by everybody. They wanted, they have, a, remember the white garment of the priest, the beautiful garment the priest has on and the white garment of the, the, the sons of Aaron? And they get this blood all over. They're going to get bloody anyway. They're holding a bull. They they slice his throat. The blood is coming out and going everywhere. I mean, that's just the truth of it all. So there's blood everywhere. But in this case, this is the consecration, the the ceremony, the ritual. And this blood now represents that they're separated, that they're hollowed. That was the purpose of it. And he and his sons and the garments, their garments are hollowed. Verse 22, and also you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat of the covers, entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is the ram of consecration. Now, when I taught this, I remember fat represents the best part to these people. You know, we, we, we eat lean and it's better to eat lean and I, I'm all into lean. But, man, when you get a really good piece of steak and it's got just the right amount of fat that's been barbecued and sizzling and, and the, the fat invades the meat and it's just so luscious and it gives flavor and sweetness and you know what I'm talking about. In the Bible, the fat represents the best, the best. And so God is taking the best, all the fatty parts. God is taking the best. That's what that represents. God's taking all the best. And the blood, again, was just another uh, portion of the sacrifice that represented the cleansing. Without the blood, there's no remission. There's no cleansing. So the blood was very important as well. And then so the priests now, they're branded in a sense with blood and they're branded with oil. They get that oil on them as well. Again, it's all an illustration. As graphic as it is, and I'm trying to make it graphic, it should be. We shouldn't think of a little stuffed bull animal that you have on your child's bed. Little tender and meek ram that's going to willingly just lay down and expose their juggler vein. This was a wrestling match. They had to put their hands on it. They had to do the work in order for this, the payment, the atonement, to be just like Jesus did the work. Didn't he do the work? He, was, he willingly was spat upon. He didn't have to take that. He willingly took the mocking of the crowds, the whipping of the Romans, willingly. It was work, but he did it willingly for you and for me. In Hebrews 9, here's the verse. You've seen it before, Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, no remission of sin. There is none. It has to, you have to have blood. It's a very bloody thing. Now, notice the bread here in verse 23. We're moving right along. 
the bread and the wave offering. The one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, the one wafer of the basket. Remember back in verse 2, I told you about the three different crackers, the wafer, the unleavened bread. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Verse 25, you shall receive them back from the hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. So these three items, the bread, the unleavened bread, then the unleavened bread with oil, you could think of it like a loaf of bread, and then there's a cracker, and then there's a wafer. I mean, there's just these three, and they brought the basket in, remember, with a bowl and the two uh, to be offered. And they would take these and hold them up before the Lord, just showing the people, here's this, this grain offering, here's this offering, and then they would burn it there, and it was a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, this speaks of, of this truth, that nobody, nobody can... Um, uh, you don't come to Christ because your parents are saved. You don't come to Christ because you have a pastor who teaches the Bible or you had a great Sunday school teacher. You come to the Lord one-on-one. And this cracker, this individual portion, represents that, you know, in order to, to, to be saved, in order to really uh, be consecrated, set apart, you have to eat it. You have to do this one on one. You can't just take food and rub it on your body and think you're going to get nutrient, right? You've got to eat the food. And so this cracker represents that, that it's very important. And in order to satisfy God, you had to do all of these things. And the picture here of this cracker, the bread, it speaks of intimacy, it speaks of a meal, it speaks of fellowship. Where is my? It speaks of dinner for eight, dinner for eight. I want that image to get in your brain there. And verse, uh, or, or, and here's my next point here. I, I almost passed this over, but here it is in the New Testament, John 6. And Jesus said to them, I am the what? The bread of life. He who hungers uh, comes to me shall never hunger. We come to the Lord individually. We eat of the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Now, in verses 29 through 37, we have the week, this week-long celebration we've been talking about. Verse 29, And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him. So there's the grandsons, the great-grandsons, and after. To be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them, that son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days. When he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place, and you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made, the consecration and the sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat this. So only the priest could do this. Only the Levite, only the priest could do this. So this was the week-long celebration to, to ordain a new priesthood in years to come. It would, it would happen. Uh, again, I'm not sure how often it happened, but when somebody died, they would do this again. And for a week, this guy had to go in there, and he had to eat, and eat the bread and eat all this stuff and put his hands on the to be consecrated, to be set apart for his work. Verse 34, and if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or the bread remains until morning, they shall burn the remainder in fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Again, verse 35, seven days you shall consecrate them. 
And you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days, verse 37, you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Again, the, the purpose for the week-long ritual is to ordain the next in line, the next priest, the descendant of Aaron. And in verse 38, the continual consecration. This is interesting, verse 38. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day. One lamb shall be offered in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. So, now the priests are consecrated. Now they begin their work. What was their work every day? Here it is. They would offer two lambs, one in the morning, one in the evening. Thursday, one in the morning, one in the evening. Friday, one in the morning. One in the they, they offered, 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 offered every day. So the day began and the day ended with a sin offering, this burning, this smoke. The people could see it from all around. They get up in the morning and, what is that smell? Burning hair. Oh, it's the, the burnt offering. In the afternoon, you know, the wind changes. So that side of the, the, the congregation gets it. You know, the wind changes, and they get it. And they, so in the morning and the evening, day after day, morning and evening, every day was given to God, the beginning. That's the atonement there. Verse 40, with the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an epaph of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer it with a grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning, for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So the, the added uh, part of the ritual is the drink offering here. And the drink offering was held up like the wave offering, but then it was dumped out. It was poured out. The drink, just like Jesus was poured out, just like Paul said, I'm I've done the race, I've finished my course, and I'm poured out. As a believer, I want my life to be poured out. It's a sweet and beautiful thing for you as a Christian to serve the Lord, to let your life be poured out, to, to, to recklessly, recklessly live your life for Jesus Christ. Let your life be poured out as an offering. It's a sweet thing to the Lord. I love that imagery there. Verse 42, this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout the generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting of the Lord where I will meet and speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also con consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. So again, notice how it's God. It's God. God is the one that consecrates. God is the one that sets them apart. God is the one that ordains. He has this plan, this ritual, this ceremony we've just read about, but it's God. Through this work by the individual, God is consecrating or setting them apart. He ordains his servants. Um, I, I've been ordained by this church. My ordain, ordination is not from a school. My ordination came from the, the recognition of a church body that said, wow, he's, look how he serves God. He loves God. Look at him serve the Lord. 
And Pastor John Deming, years and years ago, you know, when I said, I need somebody to work in the nursery. And John was like, yes. And he's working down at, uh, he was working at an electronics store right here in San Bernardino. And he would serve. He would serve like nobody in this church serves. He was here at every service. He would run back to the nursery. He would find somebody and help. And and just so happened I was running the children's ministry, so he was a real total blessing to this fellowship and and to me. But he served, and he served, and he served. And then finally it was like I went to our senior pastor, John Miller, and said, hey, we we need somebody really to to do this ministry because I'm doing worship. It's hard to do children's ministry and worship at the same time. I was doing that. And, and John said, yeah, who, who do you have in mind? I said, there's only one man that could do that. And he's been set apart. As he, he's, I, I see he glows. He glows. <laughs> Check him tonight. See if he still glows. I'm not sure if that's still happening. <laughs> I'm teasing John. He's probably listening to me right now. But God ordains. We recognize someone. I've recognized Daniel Barrios. I've recognized that, that God's using him. You've been in here. You've heard him teach the word. He's back there with your kids right now. I recognize him. And so we're going to one day in the future, he's going to come on staff, and one day, one God appoints time, we're going to ordain him. We're going to lay our hands on him. We're going to recognize him in front of the church body on Sunday morning, just like I was, just like John was, just like some of our elders were. That's the way that happens. But God is the one that ordains. We're just obedient to his word. Listen, pour your life out as a drink offering. Give it all you have. Serve the Lord in some way. There, you, it's hard. Yes, it's hard. It's committed. Yes, you have to volunteer your time, and you have to be here early, and you have to stay later than everybody else. You just can't come and la 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 come in late during worship and then leave. You're, you're going to serve. But when you do it, there's nothing like it. And God is preparing you for, for other things in your lifetime and, and in eternity, eternity. Because everything that you do now, listen to me, everything that you do now, you're going to be rewarded for. Did you know that? I want to be, when I get to heaven, I I know that God is going to reward, not just because I'm serving the Lord, but because I, I love to serve the Lord, I sense God's Holy Spirit, and I know that the promises in the New Testament for the saint is to be rewarded. I've already got to make heaven. Heaven is, is given to me in Christ. But the reward of serving, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Who doesn't want to hear that? Thou good and faithful what? Servant. Are you serving the Lord? Is your life poured out? I believe God wants to use each and every one of us. Somebody said this. Here's a Quick little quote here. The best part of all Christian work is the part which only God sees. I love that. Verse 45, let's end this real quick. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. It's all about full surrender. It's all about giving your all. The seven-day ceremony that we just read that consecrated, set apart, made holy the priests. It signifies the blood, the sacrifice, the atonement, the 
the washing, the baptism, all that stuff, it signifies the New Testament believer in Christ. What a blessing to walk with the Lord. What a blessing to be offered the opportunity to serve the Lord. And yes, it takes sacrifice. It takes sacrifice of time and money and talent like we have on our worship team. Talent. And I'm so grateful for each and every one that serves the Lord. If you're not serving, get it on. Do it. Go for it. Don't be afraid. Serve God. Serve Him with gladness. Pour your life out. There's nothing more important, I believe, in a believer's life than to serve the Lord in some capacity. And I would encourage you to do that very thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. These Old Testament books that are so packed and filled with, with uh, these rites and rituals and ceremonies that all speak of the New Testament believer in Christ. How grateful we are as a people to have this record, this wonderful history, thousands and thousands of years old. And yet, the truth, same God, doing the same things, Old Covenant and the New Covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. How thankful we are. How blessed we are. Lord, I, I pray that you would inspire these, your people, to serve you. There are those that are serving already, that they would, that they would find hope and, and roots, new roots in serving you. And for those that, that may not be serving as much as their capacity, Lord, open up doors of opportunity. Show them a new place to serve you. Because, Lord, your word says that we're all kings and priests in your kingdom. And I just pray that we would take seriously your word and be obedient, that we would be consecrated, set apart, and do the work in your temple. In Jesus we pray. Amen.